All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, open to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 2, as we continue our series through the book of Micah. And just excited to be uh, back, of course. Um, we were here on Sunday, but with uh, uh, Brother Harley Snowed uh, preaching for us and doing our wellness weekend, really appreciate him uh, being here for that. But uh, I'm just excited to be back in the pulpit and uh, be preaching. And I know um, there were some great messages preached while I was gone. If you missed, and uh, I really would encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, I was really starting to get a little bit worried when I heard one of my dad's messages. You know, he's preaching on kissing, and I'm like, what in the world is he doing while I'm gone, you know? And, uh, and then he starts talking about Walmart, and I'm like, what? In the... I'm telling you, I'm not sure where he comes up with some of these titles, but um, it definitely makes you like, okay, where's he going to go with this, right? <laughs> and uh, then, of course, Brother Joel uh, Sunday preached a great message as, on, as well. And then Brother Jay, uh, Sunday night. So just appreciate all of those uh, helping and stepping in, uh, filling in while we were gone. Micah chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse number uh, 6. Micah chapter 2, and let's begin reading. um, Let me see here. Let me get to it. In verse number number 6. He said, Prophesy ye not. Say they to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them, that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straitened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely, as men averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out, uh, from, from their pleasant houses, from their children, have ye taken away my glory forever? Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. And so as we look at this, uh, this passage tonight, um, I, I'm not sure how many of you um, saw the title that I gave it. Anybody see the title that I gave it? All right. I thought that was a really interesting title, too. I was like, well, if my dad can do it, I can do it, too, you know? I mean, I can come up with pretty good titles, too. So here, here's the title tonight. Ready? Preacher, we don't need you. Preacher, we don't need you. Funny title, right? Not really, because that's exactly what we find tonight. It's exactly what Israel said. Israel says to Micah and to the prophets, we don't need you. Not only do we not need you, we don't want you. We don't want you here, right? Now, again, remember, let's, let's kind of get the background here. Remember, as we looked at the first part of the chapter in verses 1 through 5, again, he says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. So he's... he's pronouncing judgment upon them. He's saying woe to them, right? Well, he's talking about Israel here because there is just, there's a constant evil 
right? I mean, they, they go to bed thinking about what they can do the next day. Uh, they're trying to figure out what more they can get. And then in the morning, they, they do it. They practice it, right? They covet fields. They take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. And so we looked at how God is, is pronouncing this judgment upon Israel. And of course, God uses prophets, right? He uses preachers as God used uh, Elijah to go to King Ahab and say, hey, uh, because of your sin and your father's sin, there's not going to be uh, this rain until he says so. And, and God was using the prophets to, to preach to the people uh, to, to help them to repent so they would turn back to God. And so God is using Micah here to preach to the people, and he's pronouncing this judgment upon them. And the first five verses, he talks about this judgment that is going to happen to them um, and, and how they would just, it was just constantly evil that they were doing. And so when he comes to verse number six, watch what he says here in verse number six. Prophesy ye not, say they, to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. Now, it's interesting what they're saying here. What do they say to the prophets that are preaching the message to repent and turn back to God? What do they say to them? They say, don't prophesy. Don't prophesy. Don't preach to us. We don't want to hear it. That's what they said. Again, look, prophesy ye not. They're saying, don't prophesy, don't preach to us. We don't want to hear it. Well, how do we know? He says, say they, that's Israel, to them that prophesy. Now, it's interesting he uses the word them there. It doesn't just say to Micah, right? This wasn't just something they were saying to Micah. This was something they were saying to any prophets, all of the prophets, right? Uh, and again, this wasn't just for Micah. He says, say they to them that prophesied, because Micah wasn't the only one preaching. Remember, Hosea and Isaiah are contemporaries of Micah during this time as well, right? And, and then later on, of course, we find this was, the, this was the message to all the prophets, because then Jeremiah comes upon the scene, and they attack Jeremiah, and then, of course, Amos, and they, they just go against them because... They're preaching the word of God. Again, they're not, this wasn't Micah's idea, right? It wasn't Elijah's idea to go to Ahab. It wasn't Jeremiah's idea to to preach to Israel. God was the one that instructed them and said, hey, I want you to go to, to this group of people and I want you to preach to them. And here's the message that I want you to preach. And when these men would go and when they would preach, the answer was, we don't want you. Preacher, we don't need you. We don't want you here. Go away. Stop preaching your message. Now, it's interesting. Why? Why didn't they want them to preach? Watch what it says in verse number six. They shall say not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. Why did they not want them to preach? Why were they telling Micah to to be quiet? Why did they tell Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Hosea and all these prophets, hey, we don't want you. We We don't need you. Preacher, just stop preaching. Do you know why? Because they didn't want to be convicted of their sin. They didn't want to be convicted of their sin. Again, think about what it says, that they shall not take shame. They didn't want conviction. They didn't want to repent. 
They were enjoying what they were doing, even though they knew it was wrong. And when the preacher came on the scene and said, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop it. You need to repent. You need to turn back to God. Because if you don't, judgment is coming. They said, preacher, we don't need you. We don't want to hear you. Because what you're doing is you're you're showing that we are in sin. You're telling us that we're in sin, and we don't want to admit that we're in sin. We don't want to admit this shame, that they shall not take shame. They wanted to keep doing what they were doing, and they didn't want to hear that it was sin. They didn't want to hear that it was against God. They were content with the preaching of the false prophets. They were content with a shallow theology, you could say. They were content with, as the Bible tells us, as in the last days, the Bible says uh, men will depart from the faith and uh, they give heed to seducing spirits, right? And what do, we, what, what, do, what do people want? They want things that make them feel good. He talks about how it tickles the ear, right? It just makes me feel good, right? And that's, that's what, that's what the, the Israelites were doing. They said, hey, we don't want to hear preaching against sin. Just tell us what we want. Tell us that we're okay. Tell us that we're good. Tell us that we're religious and, and everything's going to be okay. Those are the type of preachers we want. By the way, that's the same way it is today. That's the same way it is today. People don't want preaching against sin. They don't, we don't want conviction. We don't want to be told that what we're doing is wrong. We want somebody to just tell us, you're okay, right? We want somebody to say, just look in the mirror every morning and say, you're good. And put a big smile on your face, right? That's, that's the type of preaching. Man, we all just want to be able to hear that we're good. And we can do it. You, you, don't, you, you can do it. You got this. But when it starts preaching about sin, whoa, hold on a second, preacher. Wait a minute, preacher. Hold on. You're, you're, kind of, you're kind of invading my territory here. You're, you're, ste- you're starting to step on my toes, and, and we don't like that. That's what they were saying. We don't want this shame. We don't want this shame brought upon us. They were content with the preaching of the false prophets. They were content with this shallow theology. As long as they professed to know God, and they were participating in religious services and activities, they didn't think that they should be preached to about their sin. Hey, I come to church. I put money in the plate. Don't preach to me about sin. Yeah, hey, I come to church. I'm in church all the time, and I put money in. Don't, don't preach to me about what you think is sin. You just, you just tell me what I want to hear. Isn't that how we are sometimes? Because we don't want to be convicted of our sin. And, and that's what these false prophets were willing to tell them. I mean, think about this. After all, weren't they Abraham's children? Weren't you, aren't you God's chosen people? You're Abraham's children. I mean, surely God's just not going to cast you out. Don't you remember all the promises? God promised that this would be your land. And God promised that the Abrahamic covenant, that the Abraham's seed would be as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And, and they only told Israel the good things. Look, it's, it's easy to get up and preach and say, man, God wants to bless you and, and God wants to multiply and God wants to have you healthy and, and God wants you to be wealthy. And, and it's easy to preach those things. But that's not all there is to Scripture. 
And by the way, may I say, does God want to bless? Sure. Are blessings part of Scripture? Yes. Is health part of Scripture? No. God never says everybody's going to be healthy, right? God never says everybody's going to be wealthy either. Is God against wealth? No. But those aren't all the things that God speaks about. And these false preachers were just willing to preach what the people wanted to hear. By the way, may I say that we should want a preacher that cares enough about us that preaches the word. And yes, we ought to feel convicted when we're doing wrong. We ought to feel convicted when we're doing wrong. But unfortunately, guess what happens? Too often is if the preacher preaches on something that convicts us or makes us uncomfortable, what do we do? We just leave and go find another church. We'll just leave and go find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. That's not what we need, though. What we need is the preaching of the Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God. It's, look, it's, if, the, if the preacher preaches a message and somebody is convicted, is it the preacher or is it God that's convicting? It's not the preacher convicting. These, these aren't the preacher's words. These weren't Micah's words that he just thought, oh, I'm going to go and tell the people this. No, these were God's words. And it was God that was bringing the convicting. Look, you can try to run from the convicting of God and you can try to sear it, but that doesn't change that it was God that was trying to change you. It was God that was trying to bring you to where he wanted you to be. Not the preacher, not the church. It's God that's trying to do this in your life. And instead of yielding to God, what do we do? We try to run from God. And we think by running to another church or running to another preacher or something like that, that somehow that's going to take it all away. Wait a minute. God's still there and God's there and God's still convicting. Whether you hear the message or not, you know what God wants. We just, well, we'll just find somewhere else to go. We'll just, we'll just try to silence the preacher. That's what they were telling Micah. We don't want to hear the truth. Don't preach to us. And can I say this? A country is on a slippery slope when they try to silence preachers of truth. When a country tries to silence the preachers of truth, that country is going downhill fast. You go back and you look at uh, different countries that God has blessed, and you look at the preachers of righteousness and the preachers of truth that were in that day, and what happened? They tried to silence the preachers. They, they would put them in jail. They would, they would try to silence the preaching of the word of God. And now look at those countries. Now they're having to send missionaries to those countries. Can I say, we're not far behind that. We're not far behind it. We've got to be thankful for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And watch what he says in verse 7. O thou that art named the house of Jacob. So again, here's, they're, they're bringing this excuse. Aren't, aren't we the children of Israel? Hey, you're, you're God's chosen people. You know, God, God loves you. God loves you. He would never do anything to hurt you. God loves you. He would do everything to, to harm you. God loves you. He just wants the best for you. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Does God not want the best for you? Sure, he does. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be difficulties along the way. That doesn't mean that having the best for you doesn't mean that there might be some trials and some difficulties and some hardships. God does want the best for you, but it's only God that truly knows what is best. We think we think that best is no problems. 
No issues, no difficulties, no health concerns, no financial problems, no family problems. That, we think that's what's best. God says, that's not always best. That might be nice, but that's not what's always best. And so we have to trust him. So watch what Micah says. (laughs) He says, so you think just because you're the house of Jacob, which... Whenever Micah uses that phrase, the house of Jacob, he's referring to Israel as a whole, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? The nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. So he refers to them as the house of Jacob. He says, so you think just because you're the house of Jacob that you're exempt? O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Just because you're God's chosen people, you think that you're exempt from judgment? Just because they rejected the prophet's message doesn't mean the message was wrong. The message wasn't wrong. The message was right. The way we respond to God's message really shows our relationship with God. If we're not willing to allow God to work in our heart and work in our life and convict us and say, yes, Lord, you're right, it really shows it's not a, relation, it's not a problem with the relationship with the church or the preacher. It's a problem with our relationship with God. Because, again, it's God that's the one that's working in our heart. And it's God that's trying to help convict us and show us what we're doing might be wrong and try to change us to bring us back. And we can say, well, I'm a Christian. Doesn't God love me? Sure he does. I'm a Christian. Doesn't God care about me? Sure he does. But does that just give us the right to live any way that we choose to live? Of course not. But that's what Israel was saying. Aren't we God's chosen people? Aren't we the children of Abraham? Aren't we descendants of Abraham? And don't we have this Abrahamic covenant? So notice the two complaints that they had against God. And and Micah brings them out in a question form, right? He says, O thou that art named the house of Jacob. And here's the complaint. And Micah brings it out in a question. Is the spirit of the Lord straightened? In other words, their complaint was, is God just not being patient? God's just not patient. He's not merciful enough. God's just not, he's just not long-suffering, right? Is the spirit of the Lord straightened? The word straightened means shortened, right? So is, is God, is his mercy short? I mean, it's, it's God's fault that we're, we haven't repented. It's God's fault we're in this mess. No, 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 it's not God's fault, right? And by the way, if you think about this, how many prophets had God sent to Israel to preach repentance? Over and over and over. For hundreds of years, God had sent these prophets to preach. It wasn't that God's mercy wasn't long-suffering. It wasn't that God wasn't a merciful God. Again, that's, that's their complaint to God. Look at the second thing. Are these... His doings? Do you think this is the Lord's doings? Or this is all God's fault? You think God's just being mean and bringing judgment? This is all God's fault. It's God's, it's God's fault that we're, that we're being judged. <laughs> so notice how God responds. Now it's interesting because Micah, Micah shows kind of their complaints against God. And throughout this, what do we find? We find Micah bringing the message of God. But now, in this part, it's not Micah speaking, it's God. God says, you're going to try to bring an accusation against me? You're going to try to tell me that this is my fault? Watch what he says, right? 
He says, do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly. He said, you're going you're gonna to accuse me. You're going to try to say this is my fault. And he says, God begins to speak now. He says, don't I do good to those who walk uprightly? He said, if you would walk uprightly, I would do good. If you would follow my path, if you would follow what I say, hey, I would bless you. I would be there fighting for you and encouraging you and helping you. He said, no, 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 don't, don't you try to turn this back on me. Isn't it amazing how many times we try to blame God? We're going through problems in life and it's, somehow it's God's fault. God just doesn't care about me. God just doesn't love me anymore. It's always God's fault. And yet, what's funny, if you go back and you look, nine times out of ten, the, the reason why we're in the problems that we're in is because of something that we did. Now, that one time out of ten, God's trying to bring us through something to help us to grow in our faith and to teach us something. But most of the time, the problems that we end up in, they're our fault. But we try to blame God, just like Israel did. God, this is all your fault. And God says, wait a minute, no, no, no. Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly. You see, what Israel forgot was that God's promises were not just carte blanche. They weren't just open-ended, right? Go back with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26. Did God promise to make Israel as the, the sand of the sea and as the stars in the sky? Sure he did. Did God promise to bring them into a land that flowed with milk and honey and, and to, to give them vineyards and houses and, and bless them? Sure he did. God promised those things. But notice, with the promise also came precepts, things that they were supposed to do. In Leviticus chapter 26, notice what he says in verse number 14. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments. And if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgment, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant. Watch what he says. I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror consumption and the burning og that shall consume the eye and cause sorrow of heart and ye shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it and I will set my face against you and ye shall be slain before your enemies they that hate you shall reign over you and ye shall flee when none pursueth you now we don't have time but if you read the rest of the whole chapter here all the way to the very end of the chapter is God saying, if you turn against me, it's not going to go well for you. You see, they were listening to false prophets. Oh, God just loves you and God just wants the best for you and, and everything's going to be all right. God's going to take care of everything. You just, just live however you want, do whatever you want, say whatever you want, go wherever you want. God says, no, 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 no. Yes, I promise to bless you, and I promise to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey, and I promise that you would be my people, but there were conditions. There were conditions on it, and they just uh, happened to forget the conditions. They wanted God to do all the good things for them without them doing anything that God had told them to do. 
is that not how we live? God, I want you to bless me, and God, I want you to provide for me, and God, I want you to protect me, and I want you to do all this for my kids and do this for my family and provide a good job and do all these things. And then God says, all right, I will do that, but here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to follow me, and I want you to serve me, and I want you to trust me. Uh, you know, God, I just, you know, I, just, yeah, I just can't follow you there. God, I just, I, just can't, I just can't trust you with my finances and, and, and give my tithe and give to missions. And God, I just, can't, I just can't trust you about going out and telling people about Jesus because uh, you know, I just don't know what to say. And, and, and you know, I, just, I just don't know if I can follow you in this area. And then we, but we come back and say, but God, we still want you to bless me. And God, we still want you to take care of me. And God, I still want you to provide a job and take care of my family and give me good health and all this. But I don't want to do what you want me to do. I just want you to do what I want you to do. Sound familiar? That's exactly what Israel was doing. We don't care about what you say, God. Just do all the good things for us. Now, let's be honest, right? Not one of us would ever, any of us that have children, not one of us would ever allow our children to do that. We would never just give them good and blessings and all this, and they'd never obey. They, they, know, they don't listen they don't clean up their room. They don't take care of anything. They just, just bless me, right? We would never do that. And yet we think God should. And then when he doesn't, we get mad at him. Now, let's be honest. If your child disobeyed and didn't do what they were told to and never disrespect and all this, and then they said, now you've got to take care of me. You've got to bless me. You've got to buy me new clothes, and you've got to buy me a new computer. You would sit there and laugh at them. You'd be like, are you nuts? Straighten up. Maybe, maybe, maybe take some responsibility. Maybe do what you're supposed to do, and then maybe we'll think about some of those things. And then for them to come back and accuse you of not loving them and not caring for them, you'd be like, son, you flipped your lid. And we do the very same thing to God. And somehow we think God's going to accept that. We wouldn't accept it, but we expect God to accept it for us. You see, they forgot that with the promises were the precepts that they were to follow. And Micah says, O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? God says, look, if you would just do what I've told you to do, guess what? Things would go well. But you're not. Look in verse number eight. He says, even of late, my people, again, God speaking here, is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men, averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Think about what he says. My people, God says, my people are risen up as an enemy. Can I say, you've, you've got to push God pretty far for God to say, look, you're, you're almost becoming my enemy now. My people, he says, my people have risen up as an enemy. They are totally against me, God says. But wait a minute, weren't they still religious? (laughs) 
Yeah. Weren't they still offering sacrifices? Weren't they still going to places of worship? Yes. And God says, my people have risen up as an enemy against me. Notice what they were doing. You pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. He says they, they were literally stealing the clothes off people's backs. People that thought they were in safety. He, he uses this, this phrase securely as men averse from war. Men that have returned from war. The battle's over there. They've, they've, they've won the battle. They're bringing back the spoils. They think there should be safety at home. And then when they get home, pff, it's all stolen. He said, that's what's happening. He says, you're just, you're just taking whatever you want. You're literally stealing things from people right in broad daylight, right in front of their eyes. The women of my people had ye cast out from their pleasant houses. They were throwing women, widows, out of their homes. Well, I, I like that house. Well, there's somebody in it. Well, we'll get rid of her. You understand why he says you've become my enemy? The way they were treating one another? Again, remember what God said? Remember how, how God gave them the, the Ten Commandments and, and the rules and things that he said, look, if you do this, I'll bless you. But if you don't, he said, I will turn against you. Throwing widows and women out of their houses. From their children, have you taken away my glory forever? They were robbing children of their inheritance their ability to share in God's land. They were just taking it, whatever they wanted. No remorse. Just, hey, I want it. I've got the power. I'm going to take it. He says, you've become my enemy. These are, these are supposed to be, and again, notice how he keeps using this phrase, my people. In verse number eight, my people has risen up as an enemy. Right in, in verse number nine, the women of my people. He says these are supposed to be my, these are supposed to be the ones that are that are showing to the world the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are supposed to be the ones that are being the witness to the world, so that the world could look and see there was a difference between them and the world. He said, you're, you're kicking widows out of their houses and women out of their homes and you're stealing from children and you're just taking whatever you want. Again, think about what God is saying here. He says, you're, th- there was a purpose for God choosing Israel to be that witness so that the world could see that there was a difference in the God that they served and everybody else's gods that they served. And God says, you're almost worse than them. You're you're doing worse things than what the heathen are doing. And you're supposed to be testifying of me? What does that say of God? He says, you have become my enemy. So what happens? Look in verse number 10. Arise ye and depart. Some pretty strong words. God says, get out. Get out. Yes, I promise you this land, but you know what? Get out. Arise and depart. Get out of here. But wait, but God, this is, this is our land. No, God says, you forgot. It's my land. I'm just leasing it to you. 
You're supposed to be taking care of it, and you're not. Get out. And he was going to use the Assyrian army to get them out. He's going to use their, their enemies. Remember, remember what we read back in Leviticus? He said, your enemies, I will turn you over to them. God had, God had defeated the Assyrians and God had defeated the Philistines and God had defeated these enemies many, many times. And God said, look, but if this is how you're going to treat me, I'll turn you over to your enemies. And God does. He turns them over to their enemies. He says, this is not your rest. Look what he says. For this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. This isn't your rest. And it's really interesting when you go back and study in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and in Psalms chapter 95, it indicates that the land of promise was what they understood as the land of rest. They understood the, the promised land as a land of rest. For example, just go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12 real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Again, these were God giving the conditions of the blessing in the promised land. He says in verse number 8, Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. He said, you're not going to do this. For ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. So they haven't come into the promised land yet, right? They haven't come into the promised land. And so they're thinking, hey, when we get into the promised land, that's going to be rest. And, and I, I've said this before, a lot of times people will use the promised land in, in Christian verbiage as a picture of salvation, right? You know, the promised land is a picture of, of heaven, right? You're, we're saved and, and we're entering into the promised land. We're entering into heaven, right? The promised land is not a picture of heaven. It's not a picture of heaven. Guess what happened the very first thing when they entered into the promised land? They had war. That war. I really don't want to see war when I go to heaven. <laughs> By the way, there's not going to be war in heaven, okay? But we, we get this idea, oh, the promised land, that's, that's going to be rest. When we get into the promised land, there's going to be rest there. And so they had this idea that the promised land was the land of rest. Go back to Psalm chapter 95. Psalm chapter 95. Notice in verse number 10, God's speaking about this same time. For 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So God's saying this, this they, came to the, 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 they came to the Jordan River, they sent the spies in, they came back, said, no, we can't do it. And they convinced the people. And so God says, all right, for 40 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness, right? Before you're able to enter into the promised land, okay? And then what's he say? Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest right so again their, their their idea was the promised land was rest okay but now go with me to the book of hebrews in the book of hebrews chapter three
Verse number 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief, right? So they're, they're, this idea of the promised land is rest. And those that couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Remember, they, they chose to disbelieve and they wandered around for 40 years. But watch what he continues in verse number, chapter 4, verse number 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of, eterning, uh, of, excuse me, of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the work was finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if he will hear his voice, harden not your heart. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Interesting. What, what, what did he just say? He said when he's talking to David, he said he's talking about rest, to enter into rest. But wait a minute. I thought they got rest when they entered into the promised land. No, no. They didn't get rest when they entered the promised land, Right? Because, again, what we begin to understand, the land of rest, it, thinking of the promised land, but understanding that Israel never had rest. They never had rest when they entered the promised land. When we think of rest with respect to peace and security and spiritual well-being, they never had that. They were always fighting. There was always enemies. There was always battles being taken. There was always war. So what is this rest that he speaks of? In verse number 8, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Understand when, when he speaks of this rest, and this is why he says back in Micah that this is not your rest, for this is not your rest. Oh, you think that everything's supposed to be good in the land. You think that you're just supposed to have rest and everything's just supposed to go the way that you want. Wait a minute. This is not your rest. The only time that Israel is going to have true rest is, will only be that day, one day, when the king of Israel sits on his throne in Jerusalem and reigns for that thousand years. That's when Israel will have rest. Now, is it going to be in the promised land? Yes. Is it going to be in Jerusalem? Yes. But they're never going to have rest until Jesus Christ returns. You see, they were looking for rest not in a person but in things. They were looking at rest and looking at satisfaction and, oh, well, let's just live life up to the fullest. Let's just enjoy what we have. Let's just do whatever we want because we have rest. God says, no, you don't have rest. That's why I'm telling you to get out. Rest doesn't come through things. Rest comes in a person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Why is it so many Christians, what do we find? We think that the things of this world are somehow going to bring satisfaction. We think that, boy, if we could just enjoy life, if we could just do the things that the world does, I mean, hey, we're saved. Aren't we, aren't we forgiven from all of our sins? So let's just, let's just do what we want. Let's just enjoy life. No, no, no. God says, no, wait a minute. You're never going to find satisfaction. You're never going to find purpose in the things of this world. 
It will only come through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only time that we can truly have rest. And this is what God is saying. Look, get up, get out of the land. This is not your rest because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. God says, this isn't what I brought you into the land for, just to live however you want and to enjoy the pleasures of life and take them however you want. He wanted them to follow him, to have the right relationship with him, that, and that could only bring rest through Jesus Christ. And because they polluted the land and their nation with idolatry and fleshly living, God said, all right, now it brings destruction. The same land that you thought would bring rest is now going to bring destruction. You thought it was all in this. You thought it was in the land. You thought it was in the houses and in the vineyards and all these other things. Guess what? It's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be destroyed. It's interesting how Job speaks about the beginning of days and the end of days. Naked came I into this world and Naked shall I return. I've brought nothing into it, and I cannot take anything out of it. And yet somehow we think that what we find in it is going to bring satisfaction and rest. It's not what we find in it. It's who we find, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who can bring true satisfaction and true peace. But the false prophets were telling them, no, 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 it's not in your relationship with God it's in life. You just enjoy life. You just do what you want to do. Look what he says in verse number 11. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. He said, you're listening to false prophets. They're lying to you. They're telling you everything is going to be okay. Just enjoy life. Just have fun. Just do what you want to do you're going to be all right. Hey, you're, you're religious. You're, you're following some religious rituals and things. Hey, God's going to be okay with you. No, God says, I'm not okay with you. And when Micah was sent to preach and say, hey, God's not okay with this, they said, preacher, we don't need you. We've got our own preachers. We've got our preachers that are going to tell us what we want to hear. We've got our preachers that are going to just make us feel good about ourselves. We don't need you. And they said, prophesy not. The false prophets were trying to prophesy and say everything would be okay. They preached any message the people wanted to hear, any message that would even bring them, the prophets, financial gain, but without any concern for truth and what God really wanted. Preacher, we don't need you. Do you understand that when we say, and again, please, please understand what I'm saying here. I'm not, I'm not talking about all preachers. I'm not taking every preacher and putting them into this class. I'm talking about preachers that preach the truth of the Word of God. And when we say, preacher, we don't need you preaching the Word of God to us. We don't need you preaching what God has said. Do you understand what we are in essence saying is, God, I don't need you. That's what they said. It wasn't that they were saying, Micah, we don't need you, and we don't want you. No, they said, just don't preach to us. 
We don't need God. We've got our own thing figured out, and we're doing okay. Don't preach to us. We don't need you, preacher, because we don't need God. And Christian, can I say, when we come to a point and we say, hey, we don't need the preaching of the truth of the Word of God, then we have in essence said, God, I don't need you. I'll take care of myself. I don't need you. And that's why he says, woe to them. They had come so far. It wasn't just the, the evil that they were doing, but their blatant attitude against God to say, God, we don't care. We don't need you. We don't need you. We don't need your word. We don't need your messenger. We don't need you. Just leave us alone. God says, well, I can't do that. I can't leave you alone because you are my people. And I can't just leave you in what you're doing. Because I love you, I'm going to try to bring you back. And so I'm going to allow judgment to come. Woe. Woe to you. And this judgment is going to come. Not because I'm, I'm trying to hurt you, but because I love you and I'm trying to bring you back. But you're getting a little hard hearted, you're getting a little stiff necked. And God says, I'm going to have to break you. Friend, can I tell you this, this evening, it's a whole lot easier when God convicts us just to simply repent and do what he says than to keep getting hard and hard and hard until finally God says, now I'm going to have to break you. That's not a fun thing. We need to be careful never get to the point where we say, God, I don't need you. I don't need your word. I don't need your preacher. I'm just fine the way I am. I wonder with their heads bowed and their eyes closed this evening.